From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As it does each and every year, March Madness provided plenty of surprises in its opening weekend, with some of the biggest headlines generated by early exits from titans like Duke, Louisville, and reigning champ Villanova. Determined to avoid joining that dubious list, the Gators came out swinging in Orlando in comfortable wins over East Tennessee State and Virginia to reach the Sweet 16. Now a date with Wisconsin awaits Mike White's team in New York City as Florida will compete under the bright lights of the world's most famous arena for the second time this year. To get you set for this massive opportunity for the men's basketball squad, today we'll break down the matchups with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter and get to know assistant coach Jordan Mincy. But first, Florida's focus on defense stifled the Buccaneers and the Cavaliers last week and helped the Gators get their mojo back to the levels they enjoyed before John Igbunu's untimely injury. Before we looked ahead at the looming matchup for the Gators and the Big Apple, we asked Chris Harry and Scott Carter what stood out for Mike White's first ever NCAA tournament victories. I don't know the number, but in terms of uh, a team that won two games so handedly, Granted, the East Tennessee State, the first game was, I believe, it was a one-point lead at half. They ended up winning by 15, got it going early in the second half, and then you know, they just so absolutely overwhelmed Virginia. Uh, the story of that going in was Virginia's defense, and the story going out was Florida's defense. Uh, what they did to London Parentis was, you know, they could go to jail in some states. So what, <laughs> what they did to that guy and what they did defensively to the Cavaliers and denying them so many things that they wanted to do uh, – it's just Adam Florida is playing defense at a really elite level. Um, I got to give special mention to Devin Robinson. I think we talked about it last week. Ever since uh, Johnny Bunu went out with an injury, you know, they went to him and they said, you know, you got to do more. And mm-hmm. he's taken it upon himself to do more. Uh, I mentioned on a radio show I did earlier today that uh, been some practices where like Devin Robinson is really jacked up playing defense and he's gone to the coaches hey coaches defense is fun <laughs> so it's almost like he's discovered that a little bit and in discovering that he's also discovered his ceiling starting to move up a little bit mm-hmm. I mean his offense has improved uh coming off that defense and I mean when you're six eight six nine what he is and has that has that reach and that verticality and what have you uh you can be a problem but you know I mentioned him but on the perimeter uh, Casey Hill, Chris Chioza, uh, Kayvon Allen didn't shoot the ball well at all, neither did Kenny Berry. Those guys defended um, and ended up, you know, holding Virginia to, to 39 points. So they went into Orlando. They played to the home crowd, played solid basketball. Not great basketball on offense, but elite basketball defensively. And because of it, no one's talking about how they kind of crawled to the finish line of the regular season. They're talking about going to New York and playing a very good Wisconsin team with a chance to go to the Elite Eight. And, you know, they're also – it's going to be interesting to see what the analysts say after what they did do in Orlando because, you know, you got to remember, it seemed like most people were picking Virginia on a Saturday. And mm-hmm. I got to kick out of the head. Everybody did. Well, yeah, and the whole storyline was, you know, about Virginia's defense. And, you know, they do have a great defense. But I think Florida showed that they win by defense too. And uh, that was my main takeaway, how I think the talk before the Virginia-Florida matchup was kind of out of whack just from what I know about Florida and what I know about Virginia. Sure. And then, of course, 
it's going to be a similar talk this week with Wisconsin because uh, Wisconsin's another great defensive team. That's what they're built around. And, but I think Florida showed that's kind of what they're built around too. And, you know, they're going to have to continue to play that kind of defense. Just to piggyback off what Scott just said, I, I came home and watched uh, on Sunday, I came home and watched the replay of the game. Mm-hmm. The lead in going into it, they had their studio experts, and that was uh, uh, Seth Davis and Brendan Haywood and Jimmy Patsos, who's the coach of Siena. And all of them picked Virginia. And, and the first two picked them because of defense. And Seth Davis, who picked uh, East Tennessee State mm-hmm. to upset Florida the night the, uh, the, the bracket was unveiled, he said that, uh, that UVA's backup guards, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, were going to be a different. They come in and hit shots. Well, they were 0 for 8 combined. Wow. So his, Seth's record is perfect. He's been wrong both times. So. <laughs> very, very cold takes from what I could tell. <laughs> very cold takes. So, like, uh, as, far as, as far as the Gators are concerned, Seth Davis needs to just like jump all over this sure. Wisconsin. Bandwagon. But in all seriousness, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of talking heads and experts are, are picking Wisconsin because they're an excellent team. I was just going over some stuff. They have nine guys who played in the Sweet 16 last year. Wow. And they have two starters in Bronson Koenig and Nigel Hayes who started in the game when the Badgers upset the undefeated Kentucky team in 2015. And those are obviously their two best players. Ethan Hape, 6'11", 14 points a game, mm-hmm. uh, almost double-figure rebounds a game, leads the team in a assists with 100, which is more than the whole Florida front court players on the roster combined. So they're a really, really good team. They're a battle-tested team. Their principles are really rooted because if you go back to when Wisconsin really started to become an elite basketball program nationally, 2000 when they went to the Final Four the same year Florida did, Mm -hmm. they're rooted in, in defensive play from the Dick Bennett tree. And uh, that's Tony Bennett's dad. And Dick, Bennett, here. Yeah, and Dick Bennett handed over, obviously, to Bo Ryan. Bo Ryan had his a wonderful run there, obviously, mm-hmm. almost won a national title. They lost to Duke in a, in a really close game in 2015. But they're going to look and play a little similarly to Virginia, except they got, they got more guys that can score. So uh, quite a challenge for Florida defensively and, and offensively because Wisconsin's not going to make it easy for, for them to score either. Wisconsin provides a lot of size for Florida yes. to handle. And I think one of the interesting things that came out of this past weekend was Gorjak Gak. I mean, out of nowhere, he becomes a really significant contributor. And, and clearly, with his size, they're going to rely on him as well up in New York. Yeah, you don't know how much you can rely on him. Uh, uh, maybe those two games in Orlando might have been better games for him. But uh, this is more of a season team. And Gorjak Gak is, is not a season player at all. But he absolutely gets credit for what he did down in Orlando. Adam, he was 5-for-5 five five from the floor. Now he's 0-for-4 from the free throw line. He's 1-for-10 for the season. We can talk about that uh, later on. But um, Dusty May, the assistant coach, pointed out to me that in the first half when it was close, they had to put Gorjak Gak in because they need to conserve minutes for Kavarius Hayes. You know, mm-hmm. he can't just be running up and down the way he plays the whole game. And Gorjak Gak, he drew an over-the-back foul. He had a tip in, and he also had an offensive rebound that he kicked out. So those are three extra possessions that you get against Virginia, whose whole sole purpose is to have as few possessions as po- to make the game as few possessions mm-hmm. as possible, and he got three extra ones in five minutes of the first half, so that's really high efficiency from a guy who's really just starting to learn how to play basketball. So, uh, And there was the other play, of course, where he just beat all Virginia's bigs down the court, and she was just chucked the ball. Yeah. yeah, 60 feet down, and Gorjak can run. That's one thing he can do. He's mm-hmm. not very strong. He's not very strong with the ball in his hands right now, but uh, I give him credit for knowing who he is right now and not trying to do too much. Uh, there may be a play this week where he grabs a rebound and it's stripped out of him, or he had a play where he threw the ball to Darius Thompson of mm-hmm. Virginia trying to throw a ball, an uh, ill-advised pass across court that became a run-out layup. Um, you know, he's going to have some of those things, but 
give him credit from really coming out of nowhere. He was hurt late in the season, and he has given them some productivity off the bench. And this is the beauty of the tournament, Scott. I mean, Chris said Florida was kind of DOA going into the big dance. And everyone was picking. Perception-wise. Perception-wise. Everyone's picking East Tennessee State to be in the first round. And then Florida now is suddenly a hot team, whereas Duke was red hot. Everybody was riding them to the championship. They lose in the opening weekend. So you just never know what you're going to get. That's kind of the beauty of it. And that's why they call it March Madness, right? Sure. Because you really don't know what you're going to get in the – you know, I thought the matchups down there were pretty good for Florida because, you know, East Tennessee State, you knew they would have to play at their best probably to beat the Gators. And the Virginia matchup, I thought, was mm-hmm. right up their alley. They like to get down and dirty in defense like I talked earlier. I mean, that's really what this program's about. And uh, I was impressed mostly by the way they handled the stage because, you know, another storyline going into that was how little experience not only the players had – in the NCAA tournament, but the coaching staff. Everybody. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a brand-new experience for all of them. But, you know, from being there, from being around the players and talking to them, I mean, it was obviously kind of business as usual after the, the ball went up against East Tennessee State. And they, they went back to some things and got some uh, production from guys that they're going to need, like Justin Leon's big game mm-hmm. against Virginia shooting the ball. I thought uh, Casey Hill played in a way he needs to, uh, just kind of steady uh, Devin Robinson. Kind of had a couple of his better games in a long time. I think, you know, you look at Wisconsin, the first thing that jumps off to me, obviously, is their defense. And then Nigel Hayes, I mean, he had, what, 19 points against Villanova. And a little bit like uh, Florida in Orlando, Wisconsin's uh, reputation certainly took a jump after they beat Villanova. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- these two teams are being looked at as uh, two up-and-comers early in the tournament here, Sweet 16 stage. And won't surprise me if either one advances out of the Final Four, which makes this matchup very intriguing. I think Wisconsin was probably a little bit overlooked because they, they went 5-7 and seven down the stretch or something like that and, uh, you know, got that eight seed. And But there's no accounting for experience. And, and you know, they, they're going to be a problem for Florida up front. So, I mean, Florida's going to have to have to really, really play well. They're going to have to really be vigilant on the offensive glass. Wisconsin is a hard offensive rebounding team. And you don't want to give them second chances, obviously. But you saw what Nigel Hayes did. That reverse layup move, huge shot against Villanova was just spectacular. And uh, he's going to be a problem and what's something that can't happen. Kavari uh, uh, Hayes can't get in foul trouble because um, they don't have a lot of depth, uh, obviously, inside. And we, when we saw uh, what happens when, you know, they've got to start maybe going small like they had to do against Vanderbilt uh, in the SEC tournament in the last game of the season. So those are all the kind of uh, personnel crunching that they'll look at. So, But at the same time, you know, Wisconsin, I don't think, uh, has does it not have the speed Florida has. So there's some places where Florida can certainly take advantage. And another thing that jumps out at me, Adam, I mean <laughs> – Kevin Allen and Canyon Berry are the leading scorers on the basketball team. And mm-hmm. they didn't do a whole lot off offensively uh, in the weekend, and Florida won easily. Imagine if those guys can get it going a little bit and maybe even contribute at, at 70% of their productivity versus, I would say, around you know 20 or 30% of what mm-hmm. it was. But I do give both of those guys credit because they guarded. Uh, Kayvon Allen in the first game had, uh, I believe, four assists and no turnovers, and he could not make a shot, and he was one of nine from three. But the coaches still want him to shoot. His teammates still want him to shoot. And both of those guys were ecstatic in the locker room afterwards. So uh, were they, you know, offensively wasn't their night, but 
for the team, it was their night, and, and those guys were as happy as anybody for guys like Justin Leon and Chris Chioza mm-hmm. and Devin Robinson, who were terrific down there in Orlando. Looking at the regional as a whole, if Florida gets by Wisconsin, it's either Baylor or, ironically enough, South Carolina, who could be looming. So looking ahead to a potential matchup. Am I allowed to do those, that? You're allowed uh, to do that. Okay. You're allowed to, looking okay. ahead to that, can you just give us a quick primer on, on those two potential matchups? Well, I just think of Baylor, and I think of, I think of size and athleticism. And, again, they're a fantastic rebounding team. I think I read somewhere where they're the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. So, you know, South, South Carolina, <laughs> uh, the Gators know them very, very well. Frank Martin, um, you know, what a f- fabulous job South Carolina did in scoring 23 points in the first half and then getting 65 in the second half. 65 points in the second half against Duke. In South Carolina's win over Florida – they beat them 57 to 53, I believe the final score was. So uh, just outscoring that Duke team with all those guys, all mm-hmm. that length, all that athleticism, all that future NBA talent. Well, I think that might be the most impressive performance of the tournament. So I, 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 don't, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Performance of, and one other thing on this Florida-Wisconsin matchup, another storyline that we haven't touched on, these two coaches in this matchup, Mike White and Greg Gard, both in the second year, similar you know circumstances, trying to make their uh, name themselves uh, after – coaches who are become kind of iconic sure. in the program's history and uh, I just had to laugh at this headline oh in the Madison State Journal critics owe Greg Gard an apology <laughs> because they were very rough oh, on yeah, him down absolutely. the stretch yeah. right. and I got to think it kind of along the same lines after the SEC tournament and that late loss to Vanderbilt people were like questioning White you know is this the right guy I, I've always thought it was the right guy. I think it's just funny how things kind of get out of whack. I think if I recall, like it, everyone thought they were supposed, they were going to go after Tony Bennett after uh, after Bo Ryan stepped down, yeah. and, and you know, obviously that didn't happen. And he was like, he wasn't a sexy hire, mm-hmm. just promoting from within. But uh, you know, he's obviously done a really, really good job. While we remain laser focused on basketball, spring football is going on in the background, and I think Scott Jim McElwain was actually more interested in talking about basketball than he was about football at his latest media availability. Yeah, he really was. Uh, earlier this week, uh, his chance to meet with the media to kind of update folks on the uh, way spring practice is going as they enter week three, and uh, he's a big basketball fan, has, has always stated that since he got here. He used to play basketball in high school, obviously. Mm, didn't know that. Uh, so he'll be watching those games this weekend uh, from New York as he you know takes care of spring practice down here. But, you know, Adam, there was a lot of talk uh, – about a lot of different players uh, this week with McElwain. Uh, I'll just kind of run down the list like mm-hmm. I wrote for the website. There was so much, I just kind of gave a lot of nuggets. Uh, we'll start with the quarterbacks, obviously. Uh, Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask, in his view, they both executed a very high level in a situational drills practice uh, on Saturday. And what that means is you know stuff like two-minute warning, just doing things that they're obviously are critical in games. Mm-hmm. Uh he thought they both showed signs of really handling those uh, assignments very well. And they'll have a closer look uh, this weekend when they hold their first scrimmage of camp. So that was the first thing. He also said the running backs and probably the receiver groups were the two most competitive from what he's seen so far in camp. And the offensive line, he kind of praised that group. Says new offensive line coach Brad Davis has really kind of uh, implemented a, a new mentality there a sense of urgency and it shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought one of the more telling points was, you know, the old storyline about how the defense has always been ahead of the offense here in recent years. He kind of sensed that or said basically the offensive players, they, they're kind of playing with a chip on their shoulder right now because they're basically tired of hearing that talk. Right. You know, it's enough such a, enough. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a couple of generation of Gator football players have heard that talk if you're sure. on offense. But I think – 
you know, we've spoken uh, at different times on this show about how I think some of the parts there on offense, they've come together. And, you know, now it's going to be the matter of those two young quarterbacks and see where they're at. And the third quarterback that he mentioned, obviously, is uh, Luke Del Rio, who had successful shoulder surgery. He's been staying involved. And we still don't know his plan, of course, for the fall. But he, he is still involved there. But whatever happens, Adam, it's going to start at that quarterback position. And so far, the signs seem to be pretty good right now as they you know, go through midway through the spring. Well, we get a little football, and hopefully next week a lot more basketball to talk about. Thank you very much, as always. All right, thank you, Adam. Every season features its fair share of adversity, but from not having a home game for the first month of the year to the loss of a key starter late in the season, it seems like Mike White's team has felt that more than most. As we began our conversation with assistant coach Jordan Mincy, he confirmed that when adversity is overcome by success, it can make the journey even more gratifying. You know what? It was an unbelievable experience um, just from the standpoint of the ups and downs these guys have gone through. Um, of course, you know, losing our starting center, Johnny Bonu, you know, going through a stretch where we were 3-3 three and three, um, in the last six, and um, a lot of people kind of counted us out. They, they often said that, you know, we weren't the same team, and we were just glad how our guys responded. They grouped together. It actually made us stronger. And um, like I said, this weekend was uh, proof of their labor and their hard work throughout the season and just their willingness to continue to be um, hard workers and be consistent in their actions. At the end of the SEC tournament, I remember watching Coach White up at the press conference. He said, we've clearly lost momentum, and we've got to find a way to get it back. What do you think allowed you to get that momentum back? Is it one thing? Is it two things? What do you look at as kind of the, the key factors there? You know what? We had a stretch where we had um, a lot of guys that were either sick or they were ill. And um, one of the things that we had, Coach uses another word as far as from momentum with our guys is edge. You know, mm -hmm. make sure that our guys have an edge, make sure that we have a chip on our shoulder. And uh, one of the things that we kind of did was just going back to the basics in practice. And uh, when I say go back to the basics, I mean, you know, having um, a lot of our drills be very competitive, um, whether it's two-on-two, three-on-three, guys in the half court, five-on-five, and just make sure we keep score. Make sure those guys know, you know, we switch the teams um, throughout practice, different guys play with one another, but we make sure that it's ultra-competitive throughout the uh, course of practice. This NCAA tournament this past weekend, it was the first time a lot of these players had competed in the tournament. And for you guys, for the coaches, your first time in that position as well. So was there anything that was surprising about it? Was it what you expected? Were there things that were different? The media was surprising. You know, our guys have a lot of media attention, even guys who haven't had that much media throughout the year. But um, as far as the game, you know, uh, with those early games we had in the preseason, as far as playing away from home, um, I think it really helped us. It really helped our guys. So um, it kind of helped us form a strong relationship with one another between the staff, the players, support staff, whoever it may be, um, as far as just being on the road and being on our own. And being in Orlando, that was a blessing for us, mm -hmm. of course. But um, like I said, it was kind of like a, a home game. I hate to say it like that, but it was like a home game compared to how we were early in the season, you know, playing all over the state in Orlando, Tampa, Jacksonville. So I think, the, like I said, those games early in the year prepared us for this stage. If we can turn the clock back and turn the focus to you a little bit here, can you tell us about where you grew up and about your family? I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised, uh, one of four kids. Had the ability after that. I left and went to college at Kent State University. 
Uh, had a great four years there. Played two NCAA tournaments. A little bit of NCAA mm-hmm. um, experience there. Um, upon graduating and playing there after four years, I went on to the University of South Carolina, where I was a graduate assistant for one year. Um, then I was blessed with the opportunity to go back after a year from South Carolina and do two years of uh, being a full-time assistant at my alma mater, Kent State University. Shout out to those guys who <laughs> were in the NCAA tournament. I know they had a hard-fought battle against UCLA, but it was it was good to see the alma mater there. Um, and also shout out to Rob Sinderoff, my mentor, who was the head coach there, who recruited me as well. Upon leaving Kent State, I had the opportunity. I went down to the College of Charleston for a year. I uh, left the College of Charleston after a year, uh, went back to Ohio to the University of Toledo. And then upon leaving the University of Toledo, I had the opportunity to come work with Coach Mike White um, at Louisiana Tech University. As you know, we had great success there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we left there and going on my second year here and my third year total with Coach White, but my second year here at the University of Florida and blessed to be here. I know three of your siblings, you're one of three that played college basketball. Correct. Can you talk about the role that basketball played in your family growing up? My mom actually is the one who, it's crazy to say that, who got us started in basketball. She used to be a uh, middle school coach. So Mm -hmm. growing up, she often had myself and my sister, we're the closest in age. We would, um, after school programs, um, instead of going to, you know, a, a chess club or a math club at Riverdale Elementary uh, slash middle school where we <laughs> we both played, uh, we would often be in her practice. And we see her and we learn the game from her teaching uh, young ladies as far as, you know, the game and understanding uh, what to do. So that's kind of where we found our know-how. As far as my family, my sister, uh, she played Ole Miss. Um, she had a a great experience there. Um, like I said, they uh, I believe they played in the Sweet 16. She'll be mad at me if I forgot this. <laughs> but she played for the legendary Kira Ross, who used to uh, coach used here to be as well. Here, yeah. A little circle, a little circle. And she also knows Coach White. She dated one of his players while mm. being at Ole Miss. So that's kind of how it all works together. And then uh, my brother Jerome Mincy, he was um, a very good player at UAB. Um, obviously had a couple NCAA runs there. And he now actually – uh, coaches at the Villages High School here in Florida. So glad to have him around me. Um, but like I said, uh, a wealth of experience in, in the family. They taught me a lot. My mom taught me a lot about the game. It was a great experience for our family. You mentioned Kent State. What led you to Kent State? Why was that the, the destination for you? Rob Sinderoff, the head coach at Kent State University. He's the guy. He's my He's my mentor. Um, I lean on him not just for basketball but uh, for anything, advice, marriage advice, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, coming out of Memphis, Tennessee, I had a 23 offers, all of them being mid-major. Wow. Yeah, all of them being mid-major that's, schools. That's a lot of mail to sort through. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of letters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I actually wanted to go to UNC Wilmington. Um, I took a visit to Western Kentucky, uh, Chattanooga, and I committed to Chattanooga. Hmm. And then I had a crazy experience on my um, recruiting visit, on my official visit. Um, and I had a great experience on my visit to Kent State, on my first visit to Kent State. And like I said, Coach Rob Sinderoff, he did an unbelievable job of recruiting me, um, made me feel like family, and it was just a great family environment up there. So that's why I chose Kent State 13 hours away instead of going mm. to Ch- Chattanooga. <laughs> what was the crazy incident that happened on your, your recruiting trip? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so this is why uh, I'm very selective with our guys when it comes to official visits and mm-hmm. make sure I know everything that they do. <laughs> I was playing a video game. I remember it was March Madness, probably one of the few years. I was playing with the Cincinnati Bearcats and the North Carolina Tar Heels um, versus one of the guys, a guy by the name of Jason Heron, who was really close to me. Of course, I was committed to him. Um, I had just come back from my Kent State visit. 
And, you know, I was kind of torn in a, a rock and a hard place as far as where to go and, and what school mm-hmm. to choose. My girlfriend at the time, who was in high school, she was going to chat. And chat was closer to home. My mom and my parents could see me play. And I liked the environment there. So um, on my visit, I was playing video games. Back to that story. I know it was a long story. But at the time, I was 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. And, you know, at that time, you, you're gullible. You're young. You laugh sure. at everything. Sure. So one of his friends or one of his roommates that attended Chattanooga came in. And at the time, I didn't know that, you know, he was intoxicated. And um, he had said something, and I guess it wasn't meant to be funny. But I laughed at it. I started to laugh. <laughs> and as I started to laugh, the guy pulled a gun on me and pulled put a gun to my head. And he's like, what you laughing at, dude? And, and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were laughing at that point. Oh, I laughed. Yeah, I was stone cold. <laughs> and I remember my uh, my friend at the time said, hey, 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 man, this dude's a recruit, man. What you doing? He's like, oh, my bad, man. Ha, 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 you cool. And I was like, you know what? That was a sign I needed from God to tell me I don't need to go here. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's the ultimate sign. It can't get much more obvious than that, I guess. Yeah. So I went back to my parents' hotel room, 2.30 in the morning. I called Rob Cinderoff, who's in the airport. <laughs> he was on his way to Baltimore to actually sign another point guard. He was like, um, you sure you coming? He's like, I thought you were going to Chattanooga. I was like, no, nah, man. God showed me a sign, so I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, okay. So, you get to Kent State, and you talked about already what a big influence your coach was on you. In what ways was he so influential? And even today, how does he continue to, to shape your philosophy? Well, when I was there, he was uh, he was the head assistant. Um, I play for the guy, Jim Christian, who's the head coach at Boston College now. Um, as far as how uh, Rob Sinar was, he was very hands-on with me. You know, he taught me the game, uh, especially coming out of high school and out of Memphis, Tennessee, um, and going to the Midwest where basketball is different. You know, in the South, um, it's a lot to do with athleticism, um, a fast-paced mm-hmm. game. And um, in the Midwest, um, a lot of it is true X and O's and learning how to play the game and see the game um, at a very – uh, basic standpoint so um the thing that I would say he did for me the most was just teaching me the game being patient with me um giving me a true understanding of what basketball um truly is most players don't finish college and immediately say that they want to go be a coach so what was your plan right after school and when did coaching come into the picture um I was going to be a pharmaceutical salesman hmm. Um, my sister, she ended up graduating early from Ole Miss, and she became, she ended up working for GlaxoSmithKline her first year out. Made pretty good salary, made like 80000 plus um, benefits, and, you know, it was awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> had a car, worked four days a week, and I was like, hey, you know, uh, you know that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what I want to do, and that's what she loved, and I had a business marketing major. So I was like, you know, that'd be something that I want to do. I love people, love to talk to people, love to sell things, so – you know, after her first year, she was miserable. And I was just like, you know, what, what's wrong? And she was like, man, you know, it, it, it's just not, you know, you have a competitive nature. You want to do things, but it's just not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, after seeing that, you know, we had a, a small tree where um, a guy like Armand Gates, one of my teammates who ended up coming back to coach me at Kent State, who's now in Northwestern um, as an assistant coach. And then uh, a guy by the name of Eric Hout who uh, is an assistant now back at Kent State. He was at TCU at the time. Um, both those guys were, you know, kind of paved the way as far as going through the same steps. They were both GAs for Darren Horn. Um, they said, you know what, Jordan, you think you'd be a pretty good assistant coach. Maybe you should do the same thing. And um, after taking, you know, after my junior year, we had a lot of success. And um, 
Coach Cinderoff, you know, he called me in his office. He said, you know, I think you should follow in Eric Hout and uh, uh, Armand Gay's footsteps and become a GA and go down the coaching route. And, you know, I put some thought to it, and it was a short answer, of course. I said, you know, okay, I'll do it. So going into my senior year, I played um, pressure-free and kind of knew that I was going to be a coach at the end of the year. For so many players who become coaches, it's hard to accept that your impact's going to be on the sidelines instead of on the court. So how difficult was it for you to transition out of the mindset of a player into being a coach? It's hard, especially those first few years. Mm-hmm. You know, especially I won't say my second year uh, when I was the first full, my first full-time um, assistant year at Kent State University because – you still had a competitive nature. You still want to talk to the guys as if you're in the locker room with them and you're playing right beside them. Mm-hmm. But you had to take a step back and understand that these guys are still young. You know, they're still learning the game. And all because you've had those four years' experience, you feel like they should have it right away as well. And a 17-, 18-year-old kid coming in as a freshman, even a sophomore, they're not going to have the same understanding. And that's just something that, you know, I struggled with at first. But um, as the years went on, I, I've learned that, you know what, and, and the guy who's actually helped me with that is assistant Dusty May. I mm-hmm. should say that, too. He um, He's like, look, at the end of the day, when you get mad at these guys, you have to understand they're still learning and they're still kids. You know, they don't have an understanding of life. Um, so you always have to be patient with them. At what point did you get connected with Mike White, and, and how did that relationship come together? So when I was at Toledo, I got a call. I was at a seafood company downtown. <laughs> <laughs> with my wife. And, Not that uh, you remember it or anything yeah, like no. that. <laughs> yeah, I it remember. was 7.43. <laughs> yeah. I remember the exact time. It was, I remember picking up the phones, walk out the parking lot. You know, I picked up the phone. I said, hello. I answered, and the guy said, hey, um, this is Dusty May. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, what's going on, Dusty May? And he said, um, you know, I want to talk to you about a job. I don't know if you'd be interested or not. And I said, um, okay, a job where? And he said, Louisiana Tech University. And I said, hmm. Louisiana Tech. Now, the only thing that I had remembered about Louisiana Tech is my sister went on an official visit there, and it was in a place where nothing was around. <laughs> so, and, ho- and hopefully no one pulled a gun on her. Yeah, yeah, hopefully no one <laughs> pulled a gun on her. So <laughs> I remember I was like, man, this is going to be – this is different. So I was like, Louisiana, Ruston, Louisiana. Hmm. And um, he was like, I know Mike White. You know, he wanted me to reach out to you. I know, obviously, he said he recruited my cousin, Andre Hollins, who played in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He was his first offer, and he knew my sister. So he was like, I know that you work with Amir Durain. That was Dusty May, who worked with him at Murray State. And then he also worked with a guy named Steve Prone, who's the head coach of Iowa State now, who um, I'm very close to as well. And he said, you know, so a lot of people that we we both know, myself and Mike White, you come highly recommended by those people. And uh, we just want to see if you have the opportunity or would like the opportunity to come work with us and uh, beside us. So I took that offer. Um, it was a great experience. Like I said, I had a good opportunity. I had a good situation at Toledo. Mm-hmm. But um, just having the opportunity to come work for Coach Mike White, that, w- that was an opportunity I couldn't pass down. When you're bouncing around from job to job on the way here, and, and there's such short stints in some cases, yeah. how much do you take away from each of those stops? Or does it just feel like you're you're just constantly moving on from, from one situation to another? I was asked that exact same question when I had the hiring committee at Louisiana Tech. <laughs> so it, it was, it's a different situation than anywhere. Before you get hired, you actually had to go in front of a committee of eight or nine people. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they ask you these questions, and they basically have to sign off for them if you're hired. Now, this Coach White, it, it does made didn't tell me this when I took the job. <laughs> but it was like when I, when I got there, he goes, hey, make sure you got a suit. And I said, okay. 
why is that? He goes, well, you have to go in front of the committee to get hired. I was like, well, I just quit my job in Toledo. Right. So you sure I got to go in front of this committee? <laughs> <laughs> this would have like, been good to know before I quit. Yeah, the job. before yeah. he's like, man, no. And he goes, no one, no one's ever been turned down. You, you'll be fine. I'm like, okay, it sounds good. <laughs> but uh, the thing, like I said, back to your question, uh, just to answer it, bouncing around from those different those different places and being with different coaches, it was good for me from the standpoint that all of the guys that I work for, they've had very uh, a lot of similarities, but they've had a lot of things that have been different about their coaching style and philosophies as well. Working for, you know, um, obviously guys like Robson and Rob Gino Ford, guys I played with, I've known that mm-hmm. Kent State system that's been successful um, throughout the years, and um, it's, been, it's proven to be successful. But um, being able to venture off from that um, and branch off and learn styles like working under Doug Wojcik, who coached at uh, Michigan State for Tom Izzo for a couple of years. He was his associate head coach, just learning their defensive philosophies and understanding gap help and, and principles principles and understanding, you know, the time and um, that they put in the scouts, you know, mm-hmm. understanding the breakdown uh, to a T as far as what our guys need to know. And then moving on to there, going to Toledo and um, working for a guy, Ty Kowalczyk, who's an unbelievable offensive-minded coach. I think, you know, in his years of being there, he's uh, ranked – anywhere from top 50 to top 25 each year as far as a scoring offense wow. uh, in the country. And like I said, he's a longtime assistant of Tom Crean, who was recently let go at Indiana. But uh, in those times at Marquette with Dwayne Wade to the world, mm-hmm. um, he was the guy who was running the offense. So it was good to have that kind of a mix. Um, and then, like I said, going with Coach White, who has a good mixture of both. You know, a fast-paced offense gives guys a lot of freedom. But then at the same time, fast-paced defense as well. That's very aggressive. It, it gets after guys. It turns people over. So, like I said, it's been a good mixture. And you kind of get to take, as a young assistant coach, each one of those places and kind of make your own philosophies and your own mm-hmm. formula for success. Having gone through recruiting yourself as a player, but in a little bit of a different time, how much of that do you take when you go out recruiting? All I remember is being recruited. I hate to talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, at first it was really exciting. You know, when you're young, man, those first few calls, hey, mom, I got this offer today. Hey, mom, I got this offer. But then at the time, at a point in time, it gets tiring. And you get tired of talking to the coaches, mm-hmm. um, the conversation, especially if they just talk about basketball, you start to have a, a sort of disconnect. And um, one of the things that kind of helped me as far as recruiting was somebody who wanted to get to know me and get to know my family. And you know, that's one of the things that Rob Cinderoff did for me. That's why we're so close is, you know, he said, hey, how's your mom? How's your sister doing? I know your sister had a game tonight. And those are things that, you know, I didn't tell him, but necessarily he researched or he looked online or he mm-hmm. would call around and ask. Those were things that I try to do and implement in my style as far as getting to know these kids on a personal level, uh, not just talking about basketball, and also getting them their freedom as well. Like I, I joke, hey, look, I'm not going to blow your phone up all the time. Mm-hmm. So when I call you, don't treat me don't treat me like somebody that you're trying to ignore. Right. And they laugh and I say, What you say, coach? I'm like, Yeah. Like if it's that girl you're trying to date <laughs> and you don't wanna you don't wanna answer, don't don't just forward me and they be like, Dog, coach, you cool, you cool. <laughs> so I have a good a good feel for guys as far as their time and, and if they wanna talk on the phone, if they don't. So I just like I said, just try to build a good relationship with those guys. What's an average day in the life like in this job? Because I think people have a sense of how overwhelming this is. And just from your response there, I'm assuming it's quite a doozy. But how would you describe to someone an average day as an assistant at a program like this? My wife, when she first got with me, I didn't do such a great job of explaining, you know, the hours I was putting in. Sure. And um, 
I remember she didn't want to scare her away. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> want to scare her away. So she would often say, what are you doing? Like, where are you at? What's going <laughs> on? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm working. She's like, you're not working. I'm like, I am working. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> like, I'm still working. And she's like, whatever. So um, the best way I described her and I, sh- I started show her was, this job is a 24-7 day a week job. And I say that to say this. You come into work, um, whether it's this time of the year, you're working on the scout. Mm-hmm. So you're going through the scout, you're breaking down, getting the information, you're watching film, you're trying to watch anywhere between five to seven games, and you're trying to put a game plan together. You meet with the head coach, and then you guys compare and contrast thoughts. You go over what's the best way to attack this game plan with those guys, and then bring the whole staff in, and now you have an hour to two-hour practice and recruiting meeting on a daily basis and you go basically through okay guys this is what we feel like we need to do in practice these are the areas in which we need to hit Mm -hmm. um and then you also say okay as now we'll break off from that and let's go into recruiting what are the areas in which our roster we need to improve who's making traction with certain guys and what's going on and where can other assistants help other assistants in different areas as far as recruiting do you know any information about this guy or do you know any information about that coach or whoever it may be and then upon that you go out uh, you probably have a, a hour in between to kind of, you know, get yourself together, maybe go get a lunch run or whatever it may be, and then you're in practice. You know, practice anywhere from hour and a half, two hours. Um, you're watching film anywhere from uh, 15 to 30 minutes before practice. And then upon uh, getting out of practice, guys want to put up shots. Right. So now you got, you know, a guy like Kayvon Allen or Chris Chios saying, hey, coach, you mind putting up some shots with me? Or can I work on that move you, you were talking about during the game that I messed up on? So now that's 15, 20 minutes. You get done, you know, you go upstairs, and now it's time for recruiting calls. <laughs> <laughs> and you, <Jeez>. you only, <laughs> and the thing that I'm trying to, to do a uh, better job of is making calls on my way home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when I walk through the door, my wife knows, like, hey, I'm off the phone. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, my wife, like I said, we'll be sitting there watching a the movie or I'll be watching the game or looking at my computer doing a scout, and it's 10.30, 11.30 at night, and uh, hey, you guys calling me saying, hey, man, I, I got to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, hey, what's going on? He's like, well, this is the schedule. I'm trying to get this kid on my team, just different scenarios. And, I mean, like I said, anywhere from 11.30 to 1 a.m., my phone's continuously ringing. And my wife, you know, at a a young point in our relationship, it was hard for her to handle. But now she she's a soldier and she's my best friend and she's great with it. But um, on top of that, you have situations too where you know maybe a guy is sick. Like I said, we're very hands on with our guys. We want to know you know what they're doing, and we have close relationships with their family. So um, someone like Anna Curry, uh, Kayvon's mom, she might call me and say, "Hey, Kayvon has strep throat, and I need you to go over there and, and, and go check on him. He's not answering his phone." And that's a, a scenario that happened last year. So it's, okay, well, it's a Sunday evening. I'm out to dinner with my wife. Right. But, hey, Tish, sorry, I got to leave because I got to go check on Kayvon Allen because he's sick and he's not answering his mom's call. So you're always on alert with that as well. And then, like I said, just make sure that these guys are ultimately being great human beings, taking school series, make sure they're getting the academic work done. So, like I said, that's a 24-7 job. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So outside of all of that, and, and you mentioned your wife, you've been settled here for almost two years now. When you don't have to do all of those things just listed, what do you, you and your wife like to do around Gainesville? We love movies. We go to every <laughs> every movie that comes out. We, we're even, there. even this time of year or not so much Man, this time of year? It, it, this time of year as well. And the thing that she does is in this profession, 
it's hard to get balance. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have a, a, a certain level of balance. And at times, I'm a workaholic. So my wife, she's like, look, whether it's an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, on the weekend, especially after a home game or um, like we used to love the 12 o'clock games or mm-hmm. the, the 3 o'clock games on a Saturday because she's like, okay, look, we're leaving, going from there, we're going to dinner, we're going to get uh, watch a movie. And I say, okay. And she's like, just get away from it, depress, and then you can get back into your scout or recruit uh, the next day. So um, free time, we love to shop. I try to keep her from shopping because she spends a lot of money <laughs> when it comes to shopping. But um, shopping, watching movies, and uh, just spending time with one another. I, I say that's one of our biggest things. We like to go to the local spots here, places like the Gelato Company, downtown mm-hmm. Gainesville, you know, getting uh, gelato. And uh, their crepes are unbelievable. Donatello crepes, unbelievable. But um, like I said, just experience downtown Gainesville and uh, experience the city. So that's it. When you guys go to movies, is the phone off during movies or does the phone still have to stay on at the theater? Now, she wants the phone to be off. My phone <laughs> is always off. I don't care. I don't care what what's going on. Uh, it's bad to say this. Even if I'm in church, my phone is on. Phone so, is on. Okay. Phone is off. Yeah, phone is on. Favorite movies? What, what what have you guys seen lately? What movies do you really get into? Well, recently, she just saw Beauty and the Beast in Orlando. And then, you know what? I saw another movie recently as well. Man, what did I just see? The Great Wall. You saw The Great Wall? Yeah, I saw The Great really? Wall. Yeah, yeah, saw The Great Matt Wall. Matt with the ponytail. Matt that was, ponytail. That was a thing yep, for you. Yep. Killing like the, uh, <laughs> like the green. Like the, the aliens. Yeah, the aliens. Yes, the aliens yeah. of The Great Wall of China. I'm into sci-fi, man. I was into you, sci-fi. You've seen some questionable movies lately. <laughs> yeah. what, now, give me, give me some man. favorite movies of all time. And they got to be better than Underworld and The Great Wall. Um, I probably say The Brothers. I like The Brothers. I'd probably say Fast and Furious series. Okay, solid. Yeah. Now, after you guys continue through your run in the Final Four, that's just in time for the new Fast and Furious April movie 14th coming out. Coming you already out. know. You already know. <laughs> yep, April 14th. I bought it. I bought it. Fate of the Furious will be there, yep. first in line. Yep, I will. Definitely will. Let's bring it back now to this opportunity that's in front of this team right now. How do you manage the emotions going into this? Because this is clearly a huge stage, the biggest a lot of these players and, and this coaching staff have been on. How do you keep that all in perspective as you prepare for Wisconsin? Coach usually texts those guys a quote every day. And the thing that you do, um, I think that Coach tries does, he does a great job of it, is just simplifying every distraction. He says, you know, limit the noise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, And the noise consists of a variety of things, whether it's uh, mom and dad, um, AAU coaches, mm-hmm. um, the media, you know, anything, females, you know, whatever it may be, that's the distraction or that's the noise. He says, you know, the only thing that you need to be worried about is your teammates and the staff. So I think that's the thing. And, and like I said, our like I said, our schedule early in the year, playing at Madison Square Garden, sure. those guys playing Duke, um, that's an NCAA tournament-type game and feel. So giving those guys that experience earlier this year, um, I think has helped them now um, at this late stage. And um, like I said, our guys are, are really good with that as well as far as limiting the noise themselves. Um, a lot of them are very quiet. You know, K-1 Island, it's like pulling teeth when you want to talk to them <laughs> or interview them. So I think he does a great job of self-eliminating uh, the, mm-hmm. the noise itself uh, by just not talking. But like I said, Devin Robinson, he's a versatile um, and very outgoing personality. So guys like that, we kind of worry about limiting the noise. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, we've been proud of him because – He's been one of the main people itself, Casey Hill, as far as leading the charge and limiting the noise and make sure we limit distractions. How big a deal is it that 
you guys played at MSG. You experienced those bright lights and everything that comes with the world's most famous arena. Is that overstated or, or is that significant in your mind? Man, it's significant in our minds just from the standpoint that Madison Square Garden is such a, a large stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an unbelievable arena. The old dome actually reminds me of the lighting setting. Sure, on um, the court. Yeah. On the court reminds me of uh, MSG and, you know, just the history and our guys being able to play on that stage and um, early in the year and play against such a, uh, like I said, a respected opponent in Duke University. I mean, it, it was unbelievable for our guys. And like I said, it was uh, – it's great for them, just getting them prepared and knowing that, you know, even though it is a historical place to play, um, you've already been there and you, you've been successful to a certain point. You didn't get the win, obviously, but at the same time, you were very competitive and hopefully we have different results this time. Last thing for you, I know you're not doing the scout for Wisconsin, but certainly you guys are all very involved in the preparation. So what can you tell us about that matchup and what are the keys to success? You know what? Um, defensively, they're very similar to Virginia. They're very sound. Um, they, they teach the, very, the same methods um, as far as how to guard. They want to force you to shoot hard twos, um, very physical defensively. The one thing that we will say that um, is very unique with Wisconsin is they have two really good scoring bigs, mm-hmm. um, Nigel Hayes, Ethan Happ, um, and then also a, a great scoring uh, point guard in Bronson Cohen. Um, he shoots the ball extremely well. Uh, they're very versatile, and they're very sound. Um, one of the things that uh, we know our guys are looking forward to is trying to see if we can speed those guys up a little bit. Also, making sure that we do a great job with shot selection. You know, teams that kind of uh, make you guard the entire shot clock, the Vanderbilts of the world, the Virginians of the world, you know, we think we're prepared for that with them and their offense. We know um, they like to move the ball around. They don't make mistakes. And it's going to be a game where we might be on defense the entire shot clock. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure we just we, – we, we do smart, sound decisions. We're very solid offensively. We take care of the basketball, limit our turnovers to a smallest amount as possible. And then defensively, try to speed them up. But stay in our gaps. Don't do anything as far as being out of rotations. And make sure we do a great job of post-defense and make sure um, also with ball screen defense and we do a great job with Brunson Cohen coming off those ball screens. Well, Jordan, we know this is a really exciting time for you and for this entire staff and program, so we thank you for spending some time with us. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow the Gators as they continue down the path to the Final Four on Friday night just after 10 when they take on Wisconsin on TBS and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back with an all-new episode next week, and we hope it's a Final Four preview. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at MSG. MSG.